thank you for being here this morning. Thank all of you that are watching online literally from around the world as we continue working through the book of Revelation. Many Christians only have 65 books in their Bible. The book of Revelation intimidates them and they never go there. But if you read the first few chapters of the first book of the Bible, you can tell this is a great story, and this story needs a great ending. And to get that great ending, God's ending, you need to read the 66th book. So that's what we've been doing, but I must confess this morning, I feel a bit intimidated about our next step into this incredible vision. Because we are going into holy space today. I feel a bit like the young man that was applying for the 82nd Airborne Division and he was asking his recruiter what all was involved in parachute training school. And the recruiter told the young man that it lasted for three weeks. He said, in the first week, we separate the men from the boys. And in the second week, We separate the men from the fools. And the young man said, what happens in the third week? And the recruiter said, the fools jump. (laughs) And I cannot imagine what it would be like to fall from the heavens to the earth. But even harder to imagine and harder to articulate is what if you went the other direction and from the earth into the heavens? And what fool would think he was adequate to describe that? But that is my task today, to ask you to join me as we enter into holy space, a place where imagination must take over because words just aren't adequate. And I know you were moved earlier in the service at the reading of Revelation 4. You might have gotten chill bumps like I did. And yet you understand that John is stretching the limits of human vocabulary. To try to articulate his chance to enter the throne room of God. Revelation 3 ends with Jesus knocking on the door. Asking his church to let him in. But the first thing that happens in Revelation 4. Is that Jesus opens a door to heaven. And asks his church to come up and take a look. You see, we know that Revelation is written to a church in crisis, a church under oppression, a church with a government asking for worship, worship that it could not legitimately give and still call Jesus Lord. And in this vision, John does not say things are about to get better. He writes of the things that are soon to take place. And as we see later, they are terrible things. Frightening things awaiting the church of that age and our age. And so I find it interesting that before we look at all the hell breaking loose around us. He wants us to look up and look at the throne of God. Or to put it another way, that before you look around, you need to look above. Because the function, the purpose of apocalyptic literature, we talked about this. This genre existed to encourage oppressed people. 
by asking them to alter their perception of reality. Now, here's the reality that they were told every day. The dominant story, and it was on the pillars, and it was engraved in marble over every major building and temple. The dominant story is Rome's in charge. Rome is the benevolent empire. And if you want it to go well with you, you had better give Rome everything she asked for. And she asked for your total allegiance and even your worship. And this was the dominant story. But Revelation offers a counter story that depicts Rome as a puppet of Satan and about to come under the judgment of God. And in John's vision, the curtain is pulled back so that those of us in this earthly reality can get a glimpse of a greater reality that we need to see. Because if you're going to survive what's going on around you, you need to know what's going on above you. All of you have seen pictures of whales breaching. Now, think about this. The whale lives almost all of its life in a lower reality. In fact, that's where it sees most clearly. But if that whale doesn't come up occasionally and take a breath of a higher reality where it can't see as well, it won't survive below. It needs to come up and take a breath of what's above to survive the world it can see more clearly below. And that's what Revelation is doing for us. And so John says, come with me. Come see what I saw. And what he saw was a throne with someone sitting on it. And everything depends on who that is sitting on that throne. And what God is doing is encouraging his church by giving him a vision of himself. And again, how do you, with finite words, describe an infinite God John does his best. He says it was like precious gemstones. It was like lightning and thunder. It was like, uh, it was like brilliance. And that's the best he can do. Because he's trying to take us to a place that is beyond our imagining. But the one thing we do know, the one dominant thing that John remembers more than anything else, he saw a throne. Eleven times in eleven verses, he wants you to know, I saw a throne. In fact, that word throne is found about 60 times in the New Testament and 45 of those times, 75% of the time, the word throne is in the New Testament. It's in the book of Revelation. And it's not just God who has a throne. We saw in the seven churches, Satan has a throne too. But every time Satan's throne is mentioned, it's on the earth. And every time God's throne is mentioned, it's up in heaven. Because the idea is that Satan is going to be overthrown. 
Because he is under throne. What John sees is that God sits on the throne. And because he sits, the church is able to stand what it's going through right now. Because everything we are facing is under throne. Now let's unpack that just a little bit. In John's vision, one thing he saw is that in heaven they say over and over, all creation is under the throne. Now, we don't just worship God meaninglessly. There is a because to our worship. And this throne room is a worship center and they worship God because of who he is and because of what he does. And this is especially seen in God's relation to creation. And so there's a song they just keep singing over and over around the throne. And by the way, those of you that complain about songs we sing where the chorus, we just sing it over and over and over. I'm just telling you, get ready. Because <laughs> in heaven, some songs you're just going to sing over and over and over. And here's one of them. Verse 8. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, what are they saying? What is the preeminent thing they want us to see about God? God is holy. What does that mean? It means he's set apart. It means he is holy other. He's not like anything else that exists because everything else that exists was created except him and that's why those four living creatures around the throne one of them has the head of a lion it represents all the undomesticated animals one a head of an ox all the domesticated animals one an eagle all the flying things one the face of a man all of mankind everything is creature everything is underthrown because it was created by the one that sits on the throne. Now, there are other thrones, he sees, for the 24 elders that I think represent the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 apostles. In other words, whether it's before Jesus or after Jesus, it's all underthrown. But, but you remember when you were a little kid and you went to grandma's house for Christmas and they had the big people table and they had the kids table? And you had to sit at the kids' table because you weren't ready for a seat at the big table. That's what they're saying. God, we will never, ever, ever be ready for your seat. Because you are holy. You are other. There's no one like you. Now, this is important. Heaven never loses all of the fact that God created everything. I think we do. I think we basically relegate the creation to Sunday school and we teach kids cute little songs about how God made hippopotamuses. And we kind of forget about it after that. They never forget about that in heaven. They never stop saying to God, you made everything. Verse 11 They sing, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. And why is that important? Here's why. Because the 
great lie in this reality is that the created can give life ultimate purpose and meaning. It is the one thing that has got to get settled. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, it is the root source of all sin. That at its root, all sin has this in common. Somehow, you took the created and you put it where only the creator belongs. Paul says it's the root source of all sin. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, it's the root source of all emptiness and meaninglessness. He says in the first few chapters of Ecclesiastes, I looked under the sun in this reality, in this world. I looked and I had it all. I had all the money you could want. I had all the education you could want. I had all the influence you could want. I had all the sex you could want. I had all the power and fame you could want. And it's vanity. Because I'm still going to die. And I'm just going to leave everything to my kids who are probably going to grow up to be morons. That's what he said. Because if you try to find life only under the sun, you're destined for misery. That's why in heaven it's settled. There's creator. And there's creation. And creation never belongs on the throne. You notice when Jesus on the earth, creation knew its master. If he told a storm to be quiet, it obeyed. If he wanted fish to swim into a net, they saw how fast they could get there. Over a thousand years ago, there was a Danish king named Canute who ruled over England. And he got tired of his servants telling him how magnificent he was. So they say one day he took his throne down to the beach and he sat on it and he ordered the tide not to come in. And after a while, the water was up around the legs of his throne. And they say he stood up, he took off his crown, he put it on a statue of Christ and he never wore it again. Because everything that exists is under throne of the one who always existed. That's the next thing John saw. That all history is under the throne. Now, that may not even be the best word, but I'm going to tell you right now, for the next few minutes, I am going to try to talk about something that my mind is too feeble to explain and your minds are probably too small to get. Here we go. God is worshipped for who he is and what he does. And the most amazing thing about who God is, is his isness. Moses said, what's your name? God said, is, I am. I am the uncaused one. I am the self-existent one. I am the one in whom is the essence of is. The power 
of being. That's me. You see, time is my enemy. Now you doubt that, you go find pictures of what I looked like 20 years ago when I came to this church and what I look like now. Time is my enemy. But time is God's creation. And so it says in Revelation 4, 9, the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever. Now look above and then look around. And who else can you say that about? See, this isn't just doctrine. This is a powerful rebuke of our allegiance to the kingdoms of men. Because the glory of all other thrones passes. I don't care who the czar was, who the Caesar was, who the Pharaoh was, or who the president is. There was a time when they weren't. And there will be a time when they won't be. Of only one can you say he was, and he is, and he is to come. Rome would call itself Roma Eternia, eternal Rome. But everybody knew there was a time when Rome wasn't. And there's been at least 12 emperors to this state. And the current Caesar who wants you to call him a god is going to die and everybody knows it. But over and over in Revelation, you read, who was, who is, who is to come. And I know this is hard for our tiny minds to grasp, but if we could just even get into the shallow water here, it would do us so much good. It would protect us from pride. Let me explain. He was, he is, he is to come. You weren't. You currently are. And before too long, you won't be. So why do you take yourself so seriously? And why do you have a hard time being happy if the world doesn't revolve around you? It would protect us from pride. And it would protect us from despair. We're supposed to be a people who have a witness to the world of a peace that passes understanding. But how often do we get so worried and tense about the future? If the right law isn't passed or the right person isn't elected or if the right war isn't won. And what John is saying is, I saw someone on the throne who was before history. Who is above history. Who will be after history is over. I saw that the past and the present and the future is under throne. Hebrews 1.8. Your throne, O oh God, will last forever and ever. In 1994, they did a documentary on the 50th anniversary of D-Day. They interviewed a lot of people that were still alive that were a part of that invasion. What was interesting, one of the guys they interviewed was on the boat 
that was transported across the channel that stormed the beach. And he said, when I looked at everything going on around me, I thought there was no way we could win. But another interview was a pilot. He was in a plane looking over. And he said, looking down on what I saw, I knew there was no way we could lose. John says, I saw one sitting on the throne who was and is and is to come. He has no term limit. And that means that he can put a limit on anything that is opposing his purposes. See, and that's the last thing John saw. That this throne is over all evil. Because the real question that Revelation is wrestling with is this one. God, if you're ruling, why does it feel like evil is winning? And you know there's a good way to ask that question. The Bible allows lament. We'll see later the saints under the altar are going to say, how long, God? How long? There's a good way to ask that question, but there's a bad way. There's a way to ask that question where what you're really saying is, God, if I was in charge, I would do a better job of running things than you're doing. We want God to deal with evil the way we want it dealt with, which typically means total eradication right now, at least from my life. But the consistent witness of Scripture from Job all the way to Revelation, when we ask that question, is not that we get a why answer, but we get a picture of who. And the vision is saying, before you ask that question, you better take a real good look At that throne. And in front of that throne, there's a sea. And that sea is so still, it looks like it's made of glass. And that metaphor may not mean much to you, but to a Jew, it would have meant everything. Because to the Jew, the sea was the symbol of evil, of chaos. The sea is where the great beast Leviathan lived. The Jews were never famous for producing sailors. They hated the sea. In Daniel 7, it is out of the sea that the four empire beasts come that oppress the people of God. In Revelation 13, the dragon calls out of the sea the mighty beast that is going to kill the people of God. The sea is evil. That's why... In Revelation 21, when the new Jerusalem descends, the first thing it's going to say, there will be no sea there. Doesn't mean there's not going to be any water in heaven. It means there's not going to be any evil in heaven. But right now, before the throne, the sea is calm. The sea is no threat to God. Now, That's important. Because you know this world is wicked. 
And some of you right now are dealing with some terrible things. And if all you do is look under the sun at this reality, it might make sense to side with Babylon. Because it looks like they're winning. But if you can look above, then you will side with the only one who certainly can one day deliver us from evil. Psalmist put it this way, chapter 11, when the foundations for good collapse, what can good people do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord sits on His throne in heaven. Back in the late 1930s, there was a Christian doctor in Nazi Germany who was one of the blessed ones, instead of being executed, he was about to be exiled. And he says the last night he was in Germany, he's walking the streets of Hamburg, and he's depressed because, in his words, demonic forces have taken over the government of my nation. What hope is there? And he sits on this bench, and he hears a tune. It's coming from an organ down the street. And he recognizes the tune. A mighty fortress is our God. And the words come back to him. And though this world with demons filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. And he says an overwhelming peace descended on him. Because he remembered who was on the throne. And so despite everything that is going on around us. We are here today. Because we have chosen. To join the chorus above us. And one more thing. Did you notice in Revelation 4 that everything is described in relation to the throne. Everything is around the throne. There's no question in heaven what the center that unites everything else is. And I'll tell you why that's important. Because if God is on that throne... He was, He is, He is to come. He never leaves. Then, because He stays seated, we can stay centered. If we can keep that view in mind, we will not get off center. Because, do you know what the word eccentric means? Oh yeah, it means crazy. Well, actually, it literally means off center. To be eccentric is to be out of center. And when you try to build your life under the sun, you have picked the wrong center. Your life's out of balance. Your life will get crazy. Several years ago, 
award-winning, prize-winning novelist David Foster Wallace was asked to give a commencement at Kenyon College. And here's what he said to the seniors. Here's something else that's true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And pretty much anything you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you'll always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, you'll feel weak and afraid, and you will need even more power over others to keep the fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you'll end up feeling stupid or fraud, always on the verge of being found out, and so on. And some of you this morning listening to me are not Christians. And you might think some of our values are nuts. And some of our ways seem crazy to you. But I've got to be candid. If you are centering your life on something besides an eternal reality... I think you've made the crazy choice. We're all worshiping something. I just want to ask you, is what you're worshiping glowing right now? And is lightning coming out from its chair? When Galileo said the center of the solar system is not the earth, it's the sun, everyone thought he was crazy. But finally, they had to completely readjust To the real center. And that's what the vision of Revelation 4 should be doing for you right now. God is the center. And you need to be making adjustments constantly in life to that reality. So that you don't live eccentrically. And I tell you, life will drift you that way. Life will tug you that way. Life will pull you in the direction of eccentricity. And there's something you can do about it. And that's something that is over and over in Revelation. It's called worship. You intentionally and vigorously tell God who He is. And praise Him for what He does. And even here we struggle. Because so often when we come to a meeting like this to worship, we don't come as waiters, but as patrons. We don't come saying, God, what do you want? What can I bring you? How can I make this experience the best it can be for you? But we come instead saying, what's it doing for me? What did I get out of it? What's someone going to do so that I will have a good experience? Do you notice in Revelation 4, nobody is fussing about worship style? Nobody's saying that song's too loud, that song's too long, that song's too old. Because when you finally get a glimpse of the throne, you understand the purpose of worship is not to ascribe value to you. It is to ascribe value to God. 
And worship calls us to overthrow self. And just cast all our crowns under throne. When I was a kid, I thought heaven was going to be boring because it was going to be one long eternal church service. Well, I don't think the only thing we will do in heaven is worship. But I do think we will worship. And I don't think it'll ever be boring. Because we are going to be around the throne of a God who was and is and is to come. And after a gazillion years, there will be more of His glory and grace and goodness we haven't unpacked and discovered yet to be excited about. And you don't have to wait until then to get centered. Some of you may have read a book some years ago called The Master Plan of Evangelism. It was a very big selling book in Christian circles. Written by a man named Robert Coleman. He was a well-known theologian, seminary professor. And Dr. Coleman now was in his late 80s. He's still alive. He attends a church in Kentucky where a friend of mine is pastor. And that friend told me that recently he said to Dr. Coleman, what have you been doing? And Dr. Coleman said, I have been memorizing the lyrics to every song in the book of Revelation. And my friend said, why? And Dr. Coleman said, because when I get before my king... I do not want to have to look down at the words. And it's going to be overwhelming when we are finally and completely and eternally underthrown. I'd like everyone to stand, please, and bow your head. Now, I'm going to pray over you, but first, I'm going to preach a little more. But I want you to have your head bowed. See, here's the deal. This king has no term limit. So if there's something in your life right now that's disobedient, there's a sin going on and you're being rebellious, you can't be thinking, well, when the next administration comes in, maybe that won't be illegal. There is no next administration. There's just is the God of heaven. And you need to make what's wrong right with him. And if you're struggling with the burden. You need to know that he is over everything about to take you under. And the best thing you can do is confess that burden to brothers and sisters. And take it together to the throne. And if you've never confessed Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, you will. Because the throne's eternal. We're not asking if you will, but when you will. And I'm begging you to do it now. I'm going to ask the prayer team to take their places. And after this prayer and as we worship, I want you to come And do business with the one who sits on the throne. So Father, I'm asking right now that your Holy Spirit will move in a powerful way. 
to touch hearts. Open the eyes of our heart. So that we can see eternal things more clearly. So that we can look above the sun to a greater reality. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So right now, God, in Jesus' name, I pray that many will come. Amen.